For Newcastle fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Our chat system connects the Newcastle community with its public forums for supporters globally, as well as private chats with your mates. Download the free Toonami app now from the App Store and Google Play. Beautiful people, welcome to the greatest edition of podcasting ever. I'm your host, Greg Troxel. We have the best damn co-host in the land, Elijah Newsom. Here. We have, now, and I, I don't say this lightly, so be prepared, sit down, close your eyes, imagine the sweet sound of Zach Pensack and Adam Golfin from the False Nines with us. We have a joint pod, ladies and gentlemen. What's up? False nines. How are we Hey, footy. Timmy, Jimmy, power hour, baby. Let's do this crossover. Timmy, Jimmy, power. Okay. <laughs> what just happened? I'm so confused. Zach, what is the Timmy, Jimmy, power hour? It's one. Damn, I'm disappointed in you guys. It's like 15 years ago when they did a, uh, a movie crossover of Jimmy Neutron and Timmy Turner. And oh, I remember that. And they, and they, they had yeah, you're talking to. I mean, Zach. That's something only us us younger folks will get. We got two old heads in the room. They don't. They didn't watch. They didn't watch Jimmy well, Neutron. I was not stand for Jimmy Neutron. That's for sure. Fifteen uh, years ago, man. back in my twenties, when I was fifteen years ago. How old were you, Elijah? Fifteen years ago. Oh you're my 15. god! Uh, I, no, I was not. I was eight. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah. There we are. Well, uh, we're, we have a jam-packed show for y'all. It's going to be, it's going to cover a lot of things. We're going to do just essentially a mid-season recap on all things Newcastle United. And it's going to be glorious because uh, that's what this club is. It's glorious in the worst possible ways. Um, so uh, where we sit right now, just a quick recap. Uh, and I'm going to ask this for the room. So, so Newcastle United are sitting 13th in the table. Uh, upcoming match with Chelsea. Uh, we're, we have 11 points and we are behind Aston Villa. <laughs> we are, we are, uh, the leaders are Leicester. Uh, we're ahead of Manchester United. So there's that. And uh, also ahead of Leeds, which is not how we expected this thing to start. But if I just told you Newcastle United are in 13th going into November or going into December, essentially, um, how are we feeling? Uh, we'll just open up the floor here. Jeez. Um, and this is like you told me that we were 13th and didn't really provide any context. It's like I knew in the summer, oh, we're in 13th going to November. Is that what you're asking? Are you asking like, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah like okay. before the season, I said, hey, hey. Uh, I mean, yeah. We're going to be in 13th in, by, by end of November, essentially. I think I'd be a little surprised just given the fact that Newcastle typically had slow starts. So like. They're near the 15th or 16th range, kind of going into December, and then kind of like 
go on a little bit of a run in January or at the end of the season to kind of secure themselves as firmly mid-table. That's what we've seen as of recent. So I'd be a little bit surprised, but also, like, if you read all of those other things to me, I would also just been like, well, must be a weird season, so that's why we're in 13th. <laughs> and I'll ask the question in a little bit of a different way for you, Adam. Uh, if I told you before the season started that going into mid-November, that international break, Newcastle United would be eight points clear of relegation, would you believe me? I don't know if I'd believe you. I'd be I'd be content <laughs> with it. Uh, yeah. Looking at who we've played, we've already played Spurs. We've already played Menu. We've already played Wolves. We've already played Everton, who for a couple games there were threatening to win the league. Um, so, so let's be honest. We've played some decent teams, and we've got a okay return. But I don't think that quite tells the full story, does it, Les? No. Um, yeah. Not at all. <laughs> Unless exactly. your name's Steve Bruce. I mean, he's staying like, oh, hey, look at the results. It's, can't yeah, be bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Zach, what if I told you before the season started that you would be absolutely miserable with our manager and we'll be in 13th place in the Premier League table? Mm, oh, I like that caveat. Uh, I, I think that with, in, it, with just that and none of the, the other contacts, I would be fairly unsurprised i i would say kind of the opposite of elijah like this is pretty much exactly what i what i would have expected um yeah. but then then to turn it on kind of the other way um if like having watched everything that i've watched up until this point i would say that boredom is a bit stronger of a feeling than i have um and just being like you know <laughs> we're it does seem like we're going through the motions right now um and we can talk about that a bit more but yeah i'd say unsurprised and then and then somewhat bored yeah it gives us a little taste of we're gonna get into this a lot it gives us a little taste of uh okay and like oh this is like miserable watching this this team um so we we get both of that and in, in looking at the table but just uh callum wilson obviously great start we have no assist leader it's just four people tied at one and then uh, uh, it's essentially like Callum has six goals and, and no, I don't think, does anybody else have two? I'm checking now. No, no, yeah, no one so. else has two. Alan C. Maxman has a goal. Jeff Hendrick, Hendrick has, has one. And yeah. Jacob Murphy. Endo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess the other notable stat is Carl Ooh. Darlow is like second in the Premier League. And I would say he's first in the Premier League in save percentage. I'm not counting Mindy's four games and having to face like six shots is anything worth noting. But uh, Carl Darlow's got an insane save percentage, highest amount of shots saved, highest saves, uh, currently in contention for best keeper. The golden glove. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It's been, it's been a very impressive, you know, and very talk about something surprising. Nobody would have expected that halfway through November, he um, has been one of the star performers for Newcastle so far this year. Uh, but yeah, the, the highest shots saved because highest shots taken is not the most encouraging statistic in the world, but I mean, save percentage is obviously a, a very telling statistic. And we saw last year, Hendrick, or um, excuse me, a pick for one of the lowest save percentages, Kepa with one of the lowest save percentages and, two keepers that got fairly um, kind of indicted last year. So yeah, Darlow's been, Darlow's been a breath of fresh air for Newcastle. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that we would have less points on the board if it were not for Carl Darlow this season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, another quick question. We don't have to dive into this one, but uh, I'll just fanboy for a second. Who would we have more points with Carl Darlow or Freddie Woodman? 
Caldelo by a mile. I don't know about what? that. I don't I, know about that. I think, what, like, what what evidence is there to support that Freddie Woodman would have done anything? I guess there was not a lot of evidence I, to support that Darlow was going to do anything, but yeah, you know. that's I I was just asking the question is all. Uh, he's clearly the best goalie in the championship, and uh, yep, he's I agree. absolutely dominating the league. So it was just something something to bring up there. Uh, we can get into that in, in another podcast for sure. But uh, yeah, I'm not, and that doesn't put anything on Carlo Darlow because he's been fantastic. It was just a. a Something to think about. Question: uh, Carl Dahl has absolutely saved Newcastle in many ways this season, and he should be, give credit for that. So, uh, we'll, we'll start with you, Zach. One word to describe Newcastle so far this season. I guess I kind of went through my my top two words, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I would say again, based on having experienced all of it in the place that not only the the team but also the the fan base seems to be at right now um the word that i went for is malaise um and so malaise the textbook textbook definition of the word malaise a general feeling of discomfort illness or uneasiness whose exact cause is difficult to identify um and that last part was really the the teller for me is i don't know exactly why i'm so so upset with newcastle but it does is there is this feeling of, of just general malaise that I have. So malaise, that's what I'm going with. <laughs> All right, man. I don't know how I'm going to top that. So I'm just going to go with deceptive <laughs> because I do oh. think that our league table spot is very deceptive to the eye right now. Yeah. And Elijah, what's your, um, and we're, we'll get into all the reasons why we're thinking this. I'd probably say uh, inconsistent. I think it's been a uh, week to week. You don't know what you're going to get on the pitch. I think the only thing consistent is that you're going to be disappointed, but it's just in the realm of like, how, how am I going to be disappointed today by Newcastle? That's not been consistent. Usually it's like, yeah. Oh, we're not going to have an offense. And some days we have an offense with no defense. Some days we have a defense, no offense. Some days we can't uh, deal with a simple press. I mean, who knows? What is it? What's it going to be? I like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and my, my thing, I just, it's expected. I expected it to be miserable. I expected it to be a grind. There's nothing that's happening with Newcastle right now or where we're at the table and our, what our performances look like that really surprises me. It's bad, it's boring, and we're doing just enough to get by. And that's essentially what it's been uh, since Mike Ashley took over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, just sands a few championship seasons. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I've expected it to go. Unfortunately, it's not fun, but here we are doing this podcast for, <laughs> for this club that all, all our four words are miserable, but here we are talking about them. Uh, so let's talk about the, the new signings. Uh, we'll, we'll start from the, I guess the beginning of the year. Uh, I want to hear, and we'll, I guess we'll pick, I'll just, I guess the best way to do this, I'm just going to pick a, pick someone at random to talk about the signing and what they think about. And if anybody wants to chime in, feel free. We'll just keep this like an open forum here. Cool. Uh, but the first one, and I, I need to go. I'll go with uh, I'll go with Adam on this first one, and it's the biggest one. It's Callum Wilson. What has Callum Wilson done for you this year? And is this signing worth it? <laughs> um, I think we know the answer, but I think well, just love to hear your thoughts on it overall. You, you teed me up real nice there. Thanks so much yeah. for that, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> Callum Wilson, we finally have a goal scorer, right? 
Um, yeah. I think the biggest statistic here is it took Shelby all season to get six goals last year as our top scorer. It took Callum Wilson seven games to get the same tally this year at the Premier League. Granted, he's had a couple of penalties in there, but we've actually struggled historically over the last few seasons to get a reliable penalty taker, and he's put them put them all away, you know? So it's really, it's really refreshing to see somebody up front who you know is going to be a danger. Feed him scraps and he'll make something of it. You know, you're not having to put it on a plate like you have to for Joe Linton to give him a, a chance to maybe 50% put it in if you put it on a plate for him. Callum Wilson will take those half chances and he'll make those runs. He'll be there at the edge of the six-yard box trying to poach those goals. So it's been really refreshing to have a striker like that who I, I really don't think, Zach and I, we talked about this a little bit, probably haven't had a striker of his caliber since really Papi Cisse days, I would think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'll i never forget that first match when Papi Cisse came in and him and Deva Ba like, probably had like 28 shots on goal in that match. That's what it felt like anyway. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was fantastic. But yeah, I completely agree there. Anybody else want to comment uh, on Callum, who I think, I'm, I'm definitely jumping the gun here, y'all. So correct me if you di- completely disagree, but this is our best signing. No? Yeah. Uh, yes. By far. Yeah. Okay. I just meant, I'm, so. if anybody has a different opinion, they can speak up now. But that's why I wanted to lead with Callum here. It's absolutely a game changer for us and exactly what we needed. The, the yeah. one thing I, the one small thing I wanted to mention about Callum Wilson that has also impressed me is just kind of the, the consummate professionalism that you see him exuding. Uh, I think that he is you know, he, he almost brings this air of confidence that you haven't really seen with Newcastle player in a long while, this um, knowledge that he is a very intelligent, he's clearly like a very intelligent striker and not just this player who's, who's operating in, in purely like athleticism or, or kind of raw skill. And I think that he is able to bring this calming force to the side that hasn't been present from the top down in a very long time. Yeah. I'd add one more thing. Um Holy. A little bit on the negative side here. There was something that we were concerned about when we made this signing, and what that was, can Callum Wilson stay fit? He's already shown eight games into the season now that he hasn't, whether that's through his own fault or anybody's or whether it's just happenstance that, that it's occurred, he's injured. Um, and that's what we were worried about from the get-go. So it remains to be seen how much of the season he will play. But I would say having a Callum Wilson in the side for 50% of the games is better than having a Joe Linton in the side for 100%. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that's fair. Yeah, um, I'm saving this one. I, I did this on purpose. Um, I so we're gonna go with the rest of the signings. Just a, just a recap, and I wanted this specific person to analyze this specific player. So Zach, Jeff Hendrick. Yeah, I, I think that Jeff Hendrick. I, I was kind of excited to see how he would fit into this team. I thought that he, him, and uh, Isaac Hayden could kind of provide this sort of pivot in in midfield, not necessarily being next to each other the entire season or even on a game-by-game basis, but playing a similar role. Uh, Unfortunately, I've been really, really disappointed by Jeff Hendrick. I think that uh, he has been somewhat put into a bit of a cookie cutter that he doesn't fit. He's playing almost in a more advanced role than he's used to, and I, I don't think that suits him by any means. But yeah, I mean, Jeff Hendrick just pretty much, if there's one player that sums up Newcastle as a whole right now, it is Jeff Hendrick because it's it's slow, it's lethargic. There's a very little spark of creativity or enthusiasm to the way that he plays. And I feel as though um, if you're going to get bogged down by a single player, he's the player that's really done it so far this season. <laughs> oh, Zach has a subscription to The Athletic, ladies and gentlemen. 
I absolutely do. I read The Athletic every day. So, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely emulating the the feelings there. But no, I, I mean, I think that that's I don't think that's an unfair criticism, honestly, either. Oh, yeah, no. I yeah. think I can I can also reinforce this here by uh, you guys know I'm a huge Welsh soccer fan as well too because obviously growing up in Wales why wouldn't I be I got the pleasure of watching Wales beat Ireland one nil yesterday and guess who got <laughs> sent off for Ireland yesterday oh, Mr. Jeff yeah. Hendrick did blatant red card last man back pulls down the greatest striker in the history of world football Tyler Roberts on a breakaway. <laughs> Straight red card. And I can confirm that even before that, Jeff Hendrick is just as shit for Ireland as he is for Newcastle. This is not Steve Bruce's fault, guys. He's a terrible, terrible footballer. Yeah, I, Wait, I would add... the greatest striker in world football, and you did not say Clint Dempsey after. I'm confused. That's crazy. Current striker. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Makes sense. Um, I, I would also add, uh, like Adam said, uh, even in Ireland's match before... Uh, this one against Wales, he was getting a fair bit of criticism uh, as well. And I think Jeff Hendrick, he, like we all, I think we did a site-wide piece. I'm pretty sure we all said he would be the worst signing of the season. And we, and we didn't say that he would be bad. We didn't expect him to be bad. We just expected him to like have way fewer chances than we, I mean, we signed a bunch of attacking players and a promising fullback. So we just felt he'd probably on paper probably be the worst one, have the least amount of chances. And then, of course, his first game, he gets a goal and assist. And then we're, like, eating our words. And then he's just a stunk after that. So it's just one of those, like, it's it's crazy how great of a start he had and how far he's fallen. I mean, this last match was brutal. Uh, and I think the most frustrating thing, and like Zach kind of said, it sums up Newcastle uh, right now. It's just... You see, you see, when Jeff Hendrick receives the ball, he's always looking to go backwards and sideways. It's never to progress the ball. And I think that's incredibly frustrating to see as a Newcastle fan over the past few seasons where it's like the one thing that Newcastle should, well, sorry, we want them to do is be able to like move the ball forward into the other team's uh, final third. And we cannot do that. Uh, and Jeff Hendrick does not help. He's just like, he gets the ball and then goes right back. And we're playing in our own final third again. So, yeah, he also had a miserable match against England, uh, completely at fault for one of the goals. So, yeah, it was. It's just not been good for him. I'd be shocked if he. I mean, he should not be playing right now. He's just in terrible form. Now, yeah. last player I want to talk about, Elijah. This is for you, your boy Jamal Lewis. Yeah, uh, Jamal Lewis. Uh, I think it's been a it's been a bit of a mixed bag for him. Uh, I think someone brought this up. It might have been former SP Nation friend uh, Kim McCauley. She mentioned uh, when I think Everton when they the game before when they played us. Uh, just it was crazy how high of a stock people had on Norwich defenders. If that entire back line was like in high demand uh, in the summer, a lot of young guys on that team. But then people forget Norwich was not a good – they were not a good defensive team last year. And so you're seeing Jamal make some of these mistakes every now and then. Uh, but you can forgive him because he's young uh, and he does offer uh, a lot going forward. It's been nice to see. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what Newcastle does in January at, at the left-back position. I'm not really sure what they do there. If Lewis goes down, I'm not sure what the backup plan is. Matt Ritchie really hasn't been in the picture. Uh, and – I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's talks of maybe Jetro Willems coming back uh, in January, and I could see that happening. I think he needs just a little bit more push to get to that next level. But I, I still have faith that he's going to turn out to be a good long-term sign. He just needs to settle in uh, and, and continue to kind of grow and get more matches under, underneath his belt. 
Yeah, and and the last player, we can just open up this up to everybody. I, I said this would be the last player, and I was wrong because this is the last player we'll talk about, and it's Ryan Fraser, who actually, and I basically forgot about him just now, and he has been kind of forgotten about for Bruce, I feel like, because I feel like when he comes in, he he makes things happen. It's then it's something we actually need. <laughs> so uh, what's what's everybody's synopsis on how Ryan has has kind of come into the spots that he's been asked to come into and make the most of it, or do you think he's kind of just average like what 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 are you thinking because i think he's making the most of his opportunities and not getting his fair share i I do think in the beginning um when he first came in he had a couple like he had ability and he missed a couple like clear chances but definitely a little bit more rust because people forget like he just didn't play during project restart like so he hasn't played he hadn't played football since march and so he obviously had to work his way back into game speed and things like that uh, but like you said, I think recently, especially, he's taken advantage—wow, taking advantage of his opportunities coming off the bench. That's ultimately where I thought he would be, um, just given how Steve Bruce lines up. I don't know if that's the, what I would do, um, but I thought like it, it's nice to have another attacking option that you can bring off the bench, whether that's Miggy, whether that's Ryan Fraser, who like when you've got when Steve Bruce makes his 80th minute sub, you can still potentially get another one to secure a win because you've got a pace demon who's going to work hard and create chances. And so I, I do think that, he, like you said, he's making the most of his chances. I'd love to see him play a little bit more and not as a central midfielder. But even when he was playing as a central midfielder, a 5-4 central midfielder, he was still putting in work. Personally, I don't think he's fit. Um, I've seen, I watched yeah. a lot of Bournemouth games um, back in the day. I used to be, as Zach knows, a little bit of a closet Bournemouth fan. Um, watching him play for Bournemouth, he just seemed like he had a little bit more pace on the outside. I don't think he's quite got 90 minutes in him right now. Um, and I think Bruce is making sure that he, you know, m- makes sure he doesn't push him too hard too soon and gives him the time to settle in and bed in. The problem now, as we mentioned, is that Wilson's out is out injured and there's a great rapport between the two of them. So who's he feeding the ball through to now, right? Where, where are the goals coming from? I think that's what he really, where he shone, I would say, for Bournemouth was the assists and I'm concerned now because I don't think he's got that partner with Wilson out that can really kind of thrive off of that. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think maybe one one of the few, if not the only thing that I think Steve Bruce has done correctly is is not rushing uh, Ryan Frazier in. I mean, he missed our entire last game with a thigh injury. He wasn't even in the lineup. He wasn't even on the bench. So I agree with Adam. I don't think he's fully fit. I am concerned about the supply. I mean, it was what 16 assists that he had uh, three seasons ago, most of which were to Callum Wilson. So that is the battery. Um, and it will be interesting to see, you know, who gets fit first and how they fit into the team uh, going forward. Yeah, yeah, and just um, uh, we'll we'll move on to the outgoings here. Um, but just to add to people we signed more youth players, but Niall Brookwell came over from Liverpool. We had uh, Bradley Cross, the South African from Schalke, Florent Indelicio, which is Saint Maximin's Brick Lane friend, as the media would love to tell you about. Uh, <laughs> and then we had uh, Sedwin Scott, who's on trial now. Scott Moore, Dion McGee, also on trial, but they have left. And the big one for the youth team is Rodrigo Vilca, who we signed for around 250K. Oh, um, man, Greg, I can't believe you forgot the most important signing of the summer. Did I? Yeah, free agent signing Matthew Longstaff. How could you forget? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> uh, technically, yeah, that is technically a signing. So you are, you are right there. <laughs> um, as, as far as uh, people leaving the club, uh, 
Do we miss Nabil Bentelev? No. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I don't care. All right. Resounding. <laughs> um, do we miss Valentino Lazaro? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Puskas oh, award winning. Puskas award winning Valentino Lazaro. Uh, yeah. I would say I would Let's say we don't miss goal. Valentino Lazaro because we never got to see Valentino yes. Lazaro because Steve <laughs> Bruce is incapable of uh, of playing a winger at the winger position. Yep. Wild. I agree. I we I I miss the idea of seeing what Valentino Lazaro could have done in this team because like it's so clear that a tricky winger would benefit Newcastle right now and he wasn't given one shot last season and and yeah as as Adam as Adam alluded to might be a future Puskas award winner uh, although there was that other goal um, I'm not sure which league it was in the one that was the the bicycle kick off the crossbar went back to the Ooh. same player and he had a scissor kick into the top corner so um, yeah. no I, yeah I, I it, Valentino Lazaro will be a big what if um, because we never got to see him play <laughs> yeah uh, do we miss Danny Rose not really. I miss the cover he would bring the team right now. I had to say, yeah, I, I do miss the left back. Miss the personnel, yeah, but not the player himself, really. Yeah, no, totally. It's weird, it's weird because, like, uh, like he would, like he just. I, I think Elijah and I, we were just talking about this, right? He's he's just an old school mm-hmm. player. Like he's not a new fullback, like new age. Like he's he's not bossing up the wings, um, and that's kind of what. Like we need more of not not we don't need the Danny Roses of the world. We need the Valentino Lazaros, even though he's not a wing back per se. He's more of a winger, uh, in my opinion. Uh, Steve Bruce would disagree. But uh, do do you think like even say we had Danny Rose, do you think he would even benefit us at all? Like say he came back, I think his ability to potentially mentor um, Jamal Lewis would be yeah, maybe the most beneficial thing he could do. Yeah. But he yeah, would probably he would start go. ahead of Lewis. You know that Bruce would have him start ahead of Lewis. Hundred. I don't yeah. know. I don't know because Steve Bruce has been enamored with Jamal Lewis for like three seasons. He watched him in the championship. He's he's tried to like. I I, I think that I don't know. I do think like especially with the price tag that came with Lewis as a fullback, and we saw Steve Bruce try to force Joel Linton down our throats instead of playing like guys he wanted to play like Andy Carroll like. If he could play Andy Carroll and start him every match last season, he would have, but he just didn't. Also, he literally couldn't because Andy Carroll wasn't healthy. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I think that there would be a decent competition. I think that Lewis would get dropped from the team. I don't think we've seen Lewis really get dropped from the team like he maybe should have in certain mm-hmm. matches. Um, so I don't know if he would automatically start over Lewis, but I do like the idea of Danny Rose being a mentor. And, of course, I think the more kind of veteran leadership you can get on a team – is uh, the better um and newcastle have plenty of veteran leadership uh but you can't have too much especially given kind of situation newcastle's in where they'll probably at some point find themselves teetering on the edge of being in a relegation battle who knows but again i i say this but then again like steve bruce is the luckiest manager in the world so again who knows we could be in fifth next week (laughs) long may that luck continue yeah seriously uh, do we miss Florian Lejeune or Yoshinari Muto? Yes and no. <laughs> okay, in that order. Yes. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> yeah. I think I think that Lejeune we miss. We, Clark hasn't played a game this season, and I think Clark on his day is one of our better defenders. So Lejeune is has that ability to play the ball out from the back. It's clear that Jamal Lasalle's and his career so far has proven that he does not. Um, and I just think Lejeune is. 
he's a presence on the field, right? He gives you that little extra bit of class. Um, I, I really truly feel as though we are a weaker side for not having Florian Lejeune in it. And then on the Muto side, I think he had his chances. Maybe not, maybe not as many chances as he probably tell you he would have liked to have had. But I feel like Muto is is not the answer. There's very few Asian players that have come in and proved themselves really strong enough on the ball. They're they're not they're pretty light footed. They get pushed off the ball quite easily. Son obviously is a huge exception to that rule. Um, but Muto certainly doesn't look like a player that can cut it in the Premier League with how how strong on the ball you need to be to be a success in this division. Yeah. Son's also one of the fastest players in the Premier League, so that kind of helps him too. Yep. Yeah. So, like you said, he kind of can it kind of outweighs the the strength thing. And I would add, like, I think Newcastle in the beginning of the season, definitely when there was tons of injuries at center back and like you had the potential of like playing a meal craft there and things like that. Um, but I think now I think we've missed the idea of Florian Lejeune. We missed the idea of him. But again, you have to remember this is Steve Bruce. Is Steve Bruce going to play Florian Lejeune over Jamal LaSalle's if Jamal LaSalle's is healthy? No. Is he going to play him over Federico Fernandez if Federico Fernandez is healthy? No. Is he going to play over Fabian Chair? Maybe. But it then, like, I, I'm, that's still a toss-up. So it's like, I, I think, like, if Florian Lejeune was at Newcastle right now, would he be playing? I have no idea. And so I think we missed the idea of him and what he could bring to the team. But are we, is Newcastle actively missing him? I would say no. I, I would echo that entirely. That's, yeah, spot on. All righty. Well, one last question for y'all is where should, well, before we take a break, because I'm parched, uh, where <laughs> should Newcastle, uh, we'll start with you, Zach, where should Newcastle strengthen in January? One, You get one choice. Manager. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> do, do, do I think that will happen? Absolutely not, but where <laughs> should, word for word, where should Newcastle strengthen at manager? Cool. Where yeah, should they? Is that what, did you ask where should they strengthen? No, no he saying, was just what, the, the question, question. Yeah, oh, oh, the question I, word for word, where should right. Newcastle strengthen? They should strengthen at manager. Okay. Adam? Well, Zach's right, but if I had to pick an actual <laughs> position on the field, I think we need a creative midfielder. Any any first any names? Um, Let's look I, at the Welsh national re, team roster. Realist, realistic names. I think somebody I was surprised that didn't make a move after Norwich got relegated was Emi Buendia. I thought he's a very good creative oh. midfielder. Sprays the ball around really, really well. He's a very accurate passer of the ball. Um, he's already got three assists and a goal in eight games in the championship this season. Um, somebody I thought that could easily stay in the Premier League is Buendia. And I don't think he'd cost the world either. 23 Argentinian. We could probably get him for between 10 and 15 million. So I think he's definitely an achievable signing for us. And Elijah, what do you got? I think you just need like a, a more creative box-to-box guy. Just given the fact I don't see Newcastle playing any formation that would... Um, like, I think they, they're going to still be playing formations that require some sort of like central midfield pairing or central midfield trio. And like, I don't see them getting another attacking midfielder. And I think that like consistently the issue has been in the Bruce era is that there's not really someone who's been able to transition uh, the team from defense to offense consistently. Uh, you've got guys like John Joe who just ping the ball forward and, and hope for the best. 
You got guys like Sean Longstaff who try to carry the ball forward but lose possession quite easily. You got Jeff Hendrick who passes the ball backwards. Isaac Hayden has shown that he can do it at times, but he is much more comfortable sitting in front of the defense, not really doing much. They need a dynamic guy uh, who can who can kind of do that, uh, defend a little bit, carry the ball forward a little bit. Um, somewhat of a Darlington Nagby for our, for our MLS fans out there, someone like that. Good old Weston McKinney. I was going to say yeah. good old Weston McKinney, yeah. <laughs> you mean Weston McKinney who's trying to get the, uh, the flair trade on FIFA right now. Out here yeah. with the five star skill moves, but yeah, something someone like that I, in an ideal world, sure, maybe Weston McKinney or Tyler Adams because I like them and they're American, but I also don't want them to waste away their potential at Newcastle, so not them. Uh, but yeah, someone in that in that that vein who's offensively minded but also a solid defender because right now we just don't really have that that player. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, we're gonna take a break now. Uh, I agree with Zach. If you want to know my opinion, we need to start with the manager. Uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to do it right after this. But on the other end, we're going to go into some storylines. You might hear us rant about Steve Bruce. You might hear us talk about Miguel Amaran. Who knows? You might even hear us talk about TakeOver. So we're going to do that right after this. For Newcastle fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Don't settle for an old Gmail address. Show your true colours with your personalised at ToonArmy.com email address to use in-app or on the web. Download the free Toon Army app now from the App Store and Google Play. Adam, question for you. Yeah. Do you think that every single player on Newcastle starting 11 could start for Wales? No. All right. Well, let's get into this major season storylines. Incorrect answer. What are you talking first? about? Gareth Bale. Uh, <laughs> Robbie Montano would start at Newcastle, just letting you know that. He's a beast. He's a freaking Montano, beast. did you say? Yeah, he would start at Newcastle oh, he's right now. awful, dude. Have you seen that guy play regularly? <laughs> I, no, I, watch, I've, I've, I watch every international game. He is awful. I've seen him in domestic play, but... I'm telling you he would start in Newcastle because this is Steve Bruce's logic. Oh, this guy's fast. That's it. Almiron's fast and he doesn't start every game for Newcastle. Well, that's because Almiron's traveling from South America. If we're we're talking about a guy who's fast and in Europe, so that's different. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So we'll, we'll talk about, it seems like everyone has gotten taken over. Darby, Wrexham. Um, (laughs) All the, all the big clubs, like but not Newcastle. Uh, where, where do we think we, we have a, uh, in my opinion, a fake lawsuit pending? Uh, but outside of that, yeah. I don't see really any movement at all. But the takeover is still a little bit in the news. Where do you think Newcastle stands as far as like? Just, Wait, what, what do, what, what, do we have to talk the, about this? Wait, what's the fake lawsuit? Are you talking about the one from the, the fan? fan? Okay, yeah, I was like, because yeah. like, I'm sure Mike Ashley's legal action is is all real. I'm not sure where it's going to go or how it's going to end up. And I think I said this when we first talked about it. that's something that's like that's a six to eight month sort of ordeal because you're using you have to put together some sort of case. I'm not really sure what's going on with the the new people, but it well, seems Mike Ashley con- didn't actually take legal action. He no, has, yeah, he's oh, just. People- He's he has legal advisory looking to see if they will take action. 
So yeah, the which is what I'm... Substance is, yeah. is fake. IMO. Fair. Um, <laughs> I think, I think there, I don't know. Newcastle's obviously a club who could get bought by a number of individuals, parties, but by all means, it seems like Mike Ashley in a rush to get something done is, is very committed to getting something out of the Saudi deal. If it happens, if it doesn't happen, he wants something in return. So I don't think anything's going to happen until that happens. That being said, it kind of puts the club in a weird limbo. Um, not only, I, I don't know if it's, we've said maybe for transfers, but I don't, I don't even know if that's even the case anymore. I think the limbo is really like, if you're a, a, if a different owner, you fire Steve Bruce as soon as you can. You maybe start a clean slate next because you are not satisfied with the quality of uh, on the pitch. But we're we're talking about Mike Ashley, and he's satisfied with literally just surviving. Uh, so I don't know. I think I think that. Um... COVID essentially killed the prospect of Newcastle getting bought over because when you hear the the sales pitch for Newcastle United, it's so largely built around the fan base and and people at the stadium and, you know, 52,000 packed in game after game. And obviously we're in a much different world um, than that. And even if, you know, even if there's, you know, we're hearing potential that 25% of the stadium could be filled up in the spring or, or some figure like that, I think that the the whole idea of, you know, the packed crowd and the city being lit on fire uh, every match day is not something that we're going to see for a long period of time. And I think that that, in my mind, uh, pretty much takes out the allure of what Newcastle United is to a potential buyer who, even somebody who knows the history of the club, and maybe even more so somebody who knows the history of the club. I think Zach's spot on. I think that's what yeah. a lot of the potential buyers have fallen in love with. You know, Stavely came and she she went watched a game where Rafa was in charge there and she kind of was there in the stadium, felt the buzz of the crowd there. That's the magic of Newcastle United, right? Is being there and being part of that crowd. I've been fortunate enough to experience it myself and it's a it's an awesome feeling to be there with 52,000 Geordies cheering on the team, and especially when your team wins. It's just there's, there's no greater place to be in the world than at St. James's Park. So you're right. Um, wh while that is the case, you know, you'd have to have somebody who has a really good understanding of the English game and Newcastle United as a club that would want to come in and purchase them because right now it's hard to see the allure from a neutral standpoint. Yeah, right. You want your owner to, to essentially fall in love with Newcastle and how can anyone fall in love watching this? It's <laughs> from a dire, right? Dire. It's really bad. It's, yeah. it's bad, bad, bad straights right now. Um, so uh, I'm going to ask one question and it's going to go into a lot of Steve Bruce talk. I can feel it. Why do you think we're not getting average, even some, in some cases, average performances from our, what would normally be, or what we would assess as our star players? Say Maximin has his moments. Miguel Amaran, that's a big question mark. Uh, John Joe Shelby, what, what's going on there? Uh, why do you think that is that some of these players aren't performing like we would expect them to at this point in the season? Ooh. Who wants to take it first? I think I, I want to because I think, I don't know, I think it's, it's, it's three very different reasons, in my opinion. Um, in the case of Miguel Amaran, I think he just... He, he didn't really hasn't really played that much until recently and I think that's kind of shown I think if he had started the season 
maybe we'd see a better output. I don't know. I, I, Alan St. Maxman, I think he's being played out of position. He's clearly not comfortable being in this kind of center forward or free roaming role. He hasn't looked good there at all this season. Uh, so that's that's number two. And then number three, John Joe Shelby's not good. Uh, he hasn't been good for two seasons. He's been good for three seasons, arguably. Uh, the one thing he's supposed to be good at is passing the ball. He's not been a good passer of the ball the past three seasons. And so when that is the only thing that you are really good at and you are not good at it, then like it's bound to catch up to you. And he's he got lucky a lot last season where he had truly awful performances and he was saved by him getting a free kick goal or set piece goal or set piece assist. And so when when that happens, like you just keep getting lucky and lucky and it's it's our everyone in this 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 meetings like fear with Steve Bruce is that when you keep getting lucky, it's all going to blow up in your face at some point because everyone's luck runs out. And so I think that's been the case with John Joe is that he genuinely hasn't really been good, but he's been lucky and Steve Bruce likes him. So he's played a lot. So I think that's, I mean, that's my take. Yeah. I mean, I think all three of these players are victim of a lack of identity on the team, right? St. Maximin, as you said, being played out of position, the team just as a whole relies far too much on him. The game plan, it seems, is, you know, give the ball to St. Maximin and hope that he can do the hot and Ben Arfa every single game. Um, with Miggy, it's, it's being played way too deep. It's being asked to become a defensive midfielder, which he has not for one second of his career ever been uh and when you see him you know you saw him made that run for for paraguay against argentina and it's like that's the miggy almaron you need is the guy who can just be put forth on the wing or in the final third um and and let go and then yeah elijah i, I hit it all with with shelby he you know he his, his the kind of the uh the the glass the glass shoe has turned back into the slipper and you just see a deep lying midfielder that cannot play defense cannot dictate play and gets maybe one 60 yard pass a game that leads to you know a run along the wing when there's nobody in the box so it's like what what does he contribute at all um so yeah i think that two of those three players are being played out of the position and the other one is being played in the starting lineup and that's the one position he should not be in yeah, the only thing I'd add there, I think you guys did a great job summarizing those three players. Alan St. Maximin, I think, is starting to get found out by teams, and I think he's also getting a start targeted by starting to get targeted by teams more as well. Uh, you're seeing that a lot. He's being brought down. He's constantly knocked to the ground, getting back up. You're not sure if he's going to continue through the game. Um, and I just think that eventually teams are going to start to figure out and are starting to figure out Alan St. Maximin. Um, he's not a one-trick pony, I think that's fair to say, but those runs that he makes from kind of the, the midfield, he's he's successful on those probably 50% of the time, if that, this season, where I think he had a lot more success last. I mean, I think part of that is that from last season, he was cutting inside from the wing, and so he's, mm-hmm. he's catching defenders off balance and things like that. Now he's having to drop deep, carry the ball past, and get past way more defenders than he had to last season. And then the other the other part about last season is that like you cannot commit too many bodies towards Allen and Maxman because there are other threats. Mainly last season was Miguel Amron, and you would have you would have thought this season you would actually have more opportunities for the both of them because now there's a, a general respect that both of these guys, especially with how well they played during Project Restart, both of them are threats to score. The issue is that neither one of them have played in positions where they can be threats or threatening at all to defenses. So. 
when you have only Alan St. Maxman really being in a position where you can threaten, then you can kind of commit almost your entire back line to shutting him down and, and collapsing on him and making sure he has no space to dribble. Uh, and I don't know. It's It seems like there's a lot of, like you said, part of it is on the players, I think, in, in all three of these situations. there's I mean, there's still some blame for Miguel. I mean, he had a bad giveaway in the last match. I mean, and obviously he's still has some trouble, some trouble in the final third with his decision-making at times. But, like, ultimately it does rest on how the team is being set up and what they've been told to do. When you can't get that part figured out, then, like, you're automatically just going to be doomed for sex, for doomed for success from the get-go. Yeah, uh, it's, it's ugly. Like, St. Maximin is, I just, he's just not a 10. And he doesn't like. I think being a, playing in that role or just middle attacking midfielder, it's like you have to be mentally sound. And he's still in that like I can do it all, which is fine because most of the time he can. Uh, but that's that's somebody you want Miguel Almiron. And that and did that not work? Like, am I like confused here? Like, did Almiron starting in the middle with Saint Maximin on the wing did, was that not successful? Like, am I confused? <laughs> <laughs> Do I, you're, you're, I, don't, I don't know you're, like, you're not the you're not the you're not the person who's confused there's there's a different <laughs> man living in the north of england that's a little more confused than you are <laughs> yeah so let's talk about that man why is he the best zach why is he the best manager in the premier league mm, um he is the best manager in the premier league because your particular metric for best manager in the Premier League is the opposite of what everybody else's metric for the <laughs> best manager in the Premier League is. Oh, I don't know. I was giving some some weird answer to that. Uh, yeah, Steve Bruce, not not the guy. You know, and and I was I was watching the the brutal match that was Southampton versus Newcastle, and Adam, I was noticing just like the absolute difference there was between Hassan Hoodle and Steve Bruce like mm-hmm. just like looking at what he's done at Southampton versus what Steve Bruce has done at uh Newcastle and, and to be honest like the transfer funds are pretty similar they have a better use system by a like massive margin but yep. um outside of that like pretty similar we could probably mostly agree on clubs and uh what's your comment on there just like the just there's an absolute massive class difference between the two managers in my opinion I think the main difference that you've got there is that Hassan Hoodle has some tactical ability about him and he has the savvy in the game to know how to change a game. You know, you can you can say what you like about about Steve Bruce and about Ralph Hassan Hoodle, but Southampton have had their problems as well. They're a very streaky team. They're capable on their day of losing to other teams, but they're also capable of playing teams off the park. When was the last time you saw Newcastle play anybody off the park? And especially a Steve oh, Bruce's um, Newcastle plays uh, somebody off the park. Newcastle versus Morecambe. 7-0. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah, yeah. fair. Yeah, <laughs> against like, League 2 opposition. You're, you're, you're right in that he struggled against Newport County in the night. Uh, but but you, you, it's, it's right, though, isn't it? You, you look at it, and you never think that when the substitutions are being made with Steve Bruce, that he's doing them with any sort of belief that he's going to change the game from a strategic standpoint. He's like, oh, oh, Miguel Almiron? Yeah, he's a good player. I'll bring him on. He'll probably do something for me. One might go in off his backside, right? That, that seems like a good good methodology for Steve Bruce. Hassan Hoodle is 
deliberate and he is strategic in every decision and move that he is making. He's getting the best out of the players that he has on the pitch. James Ward-Prowse has come on leaps and bounds under Hudel. He's a cracking player and has played well for England the other day too. And I just think Steve Bruce is a decent man manager. I think that's probably the best thing you can say about Steve Bruce, but tactically just inept. Yeah. Right. Now, Elijah, yeah. what's your biggest complaint with Stevie? I mean, I think there's two things. I think the first thing is is um, I think there's there's certain things where tactically you still have there's so many questions regarding Steve Bruce, and I think at first it was like, does this guy have tactics? And now we've graduated to like like these are just not good tactics if there are tactics. And I think that's the biggest thing, uh, biggest complaint around Steve Bruce has always been around tactics. And I think that people, if Newcastle win, they say Steve Bruce got it right. And when we talk about tactics, we talk about an identity. We talk about uh, clear patterns of movement within a side. If you look at the best teams, or if you look at just well-drilled teams in general, they all have certain patterns. Uh, They all have... Uh, certain things they're trying to do uh, when when they have the ball, when they have the ball. Newcastle just look lost when they have the ball. And, and like you said, our, our tactical identity for this season and at the end of last season has been like, oh, let's get it to our playmakers and hope they can do something. And that's not good enough. Uh, and then you have the whole other element of Steve Bruce, which is just the decision-making as a whole from him is questionable. You look at um, Newcastle come off a, a really solid win against West Ham and you know Steve, Steve Bruce, and, and arguably there's there you could say it wasn't even that great of, of a win, but Steve Bruce put out a, a a decent team and a team that was capable of beating West Ham, a struggling West Ham at the time, and that team was built to deal with how uh, West Ham plays. You cannot play that exact same team against Brighton. You cannot play Andy Carroll. And, and try to play the long ball against a team that has three center backs that are six foot one and higher. It's simple things like that where everyone in the world was like, we need to change up something. We need to do something like have a different lineup in order to be competitive in this, ma- this match. And Steve Bruce just didn't do that. So I think there, there's a lot of frustrations, but that's where it starts for me. And then you can kind of go into the late substitutions, but that's that's just like classic good old Brucey. Wait until the 85th minute to make your first sub. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's a big thing for me. Oh yeah. Um, well, we can uh, talk more about Steve Bruce because this next topic will will gladly ring in to, to what is what's been happening with this club is we had some news out of Paraguay. If if y'all heard, I'm assuming everyone has. But uh, uh, Daniel Campos, who is a very outspoken agent for Miguel Almiron, he had some thoughts about how what his player has been up to and has it been a good run at Newcastle and also he's very uh very willing to tell everybody about all the interest that his players had and also that if there wasn't a pandemic he probably still would he wouldn't be playing for Newcastle anymore and he said the best quote is I don't know maybe a team with more possession would be uh <laughs> something that he wants so uh we'll we'll start with well, I would love to get Elijah's take r- right here because being Miguel Amra is like kind of like your your son from Atlanta, uh, <laughs> even though he's not. But you 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 claim him as as your own. So, what are your thoughts? You know about D- Daniel Campos too. Um, what are your thoughts about this this fun little report that we had? I'm so shocked. <laughs> it, 
Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, Danny Campos is uh he's certainly outspoken. Uh and I, I my first thought was I'm not surprised uh by this. Um my second thought was it's Danny Campos, so take it with a grain of salt. And my third thought is that it this kind of makes sense. Um I mean I could see this this changing uh it, if Newcastle plays better, but if you look at Miguel Amarone, I think everyone sees the smiles, they see how great, how bubbly his personality is, blah blah blah. But um you have to remember he's he's quite a smart player. He has a clear kind of I like he has a clear path for what he wants to do. Um and if you look at the moves he's made, he moved to Atlanta United and he's on the record saying this. He moved to Atlanta United because he wanted to play for Tata Martino. He wanted to play for a respected manager, a a world-class manager in his eyes when he moved to Newcastle. The thing that sent him over the line for Newcastle was the opportunity to play for another world-class manager and Rafa Benitez. Now he is playing under what many would consider not a world-class manager in Steve Bruce. And so when you go from having back-to-back expert tacticians in the leagues that they were in, uh, say what you want about Tata Martino elsewhere, but he absolutely was dominant in MLS from a tactical standpoint and has had his way with the Mexican national team as well. Uh, and then you go to Rafa Benitez, who, again, tactically, it may not have been pretty football to many, but it was solid football. There was a clear plan for how he wanted to use Miguel Amaron. And even if it was something Miguel was not comfortable with at first, he understood his role and why he was doing it. And he ultimately moved there to play for Rafa Benitez. So I'm not surprised that he's upset that it's Steve Bruce. Now, can Newcastle remedy that? Yes. I'm sure that Miguel would love to stay if Newcastle had literally any other manager that had some sort of tactical awareness and could, and because this team on paper, like there are so many people who are not fans of Newcastle. A lot of my friends who picked this team because of the players they have signed and the players that are on the team sheet to finish 10th or higher. Like this is a team that is, is solid on paper. And if you have any sort of manager that is, is competent, this team does arguably much better, especially in a weird season like this. Um, so it's not surprising. Do I buy the interest? No, because half the teams Danny Campos has said were interested in Miguel Amaron over the past three years. None of them were actually interested except for Newcastle. So I don't buy that he would have been gone if it were if the pandemic didn't happen, because, again, Miguel didn't really start heating up until the project restart. Like he was solid, but he he was not putting up numbers until project restart, not really having consistent performances. So I, I don't know. I think that's a bit unfair, but maybe next summer. Who knows? He could be gone. To add on to that, I, I think that, Elijah, you touched upon a, a lot of really good points there. And w- one thing important is that Daniel Campos knows what he's doing. He's a very, very famous agent and one who is successful in what he does. And I think that this announcement coming today is extremely intentional and very political. You know, we we just finished the second match of an international break. We're going to be coming back and then going into the holiday um, holiday fixtures that typically is when you're going to rotate the squad the most because everything's condensed into a much shorter period of time. So I think that this is essentially Daniel Campos putting the ball in Steve Bruce's court and saying, okay, like who's going to blink first? Do you think that do you think that I'm lying? Do you think that I'm bullshitting here? Continue to not play Miguel Almiron and see what happens. Because I don't, I agree with Elijah. I don't think that this is entirely real and true right this moment. But do I think that if Miguel Almiron does not really get featured or a consistent starting role in the second half of the year, do I think he'll stay next summer? Absolutely not. So I think that it, it is a threat more than anything else. And I think a very valid one at that. 
I want to offer a little counterpoint here. Um, I think we've struggled to really articulate the why as to why a seemingly undroppable Miguel Almiron has not started regularly for Newcastle this season. Is there a chance that Steve Bruce got wind of the fact that Miguel Almiron had one eye on the exit door during the offseason and as a result has not been starting him for Newcastle since the start of the season? Is there a chance that he's heard the rumblings of him wanting to leave and as a result has lost a little bit of faith and trust in Almer on the player. I, I don't know because I do think if you look at how Steve Bruce has openly said how he selects teams, it was like if Miguel doesn't start the first game of the season, he doesn't like he, he literally has, has been like, Oh, we're going to roll with the same lineup. And you've seen it. If Newcastle win or they draw, they just roll out the same lineup they did last week. There's no rhyme or reason to, to how the team sets up. So I could see that. But I also, I mean, Miggy's not, I mean, I guess he could have gotten wind of this, but it, it doesn't seem like Miggy's the type of player to be open about it. Like I could expect uh, someone who has more like, I wouldn't say uh, like has a, a larger personality, more outspoken, like a Allen Maxman. You get wind of that because he's very open in the public about it. But I don't know about Miguel. I do think that Zach's got a, a He's got a, a fair point where it's going to be really interesting to see what happens this weekend uh, against Chelsea because Miguel, he 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 didn't really – I don't think he featured for Paraguay because uh, I think he picked up a yellow card so he couldn't feature for Paraguay in this most recent match or their match that they're going to play. So he will be – he's actually – they actually requested for him to return early uh, to, to Newcastle. So it's going to be kind of tough for Steve to not play Miggy here. Um, but I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting point you bring up. I mean, it could be that, but I also, I don't doubt that Steve Bruce got wind of it or anything. I just don't think Steve Bruce is co competent enough to, like, you know. Steve Bruce did I, say uh, that after a couple couple matches ago, I can't remember which one, but he was like just very complimentary on Amron. He was like, you know, I he's, I just don't know how we can leave him out at this point. Uh, that was like his his quote, and that was just like interesting because like you have like I don't understand, and that's why the thing, that's <laughs> yeah, it, right. I mean, how, how do you explain it then? I want to push yeah. back a little bit on that. Like, how do you, this is a seemingly undroppable player last season? Could you know even when he wasn't scoring, it took him forever to get his first Newcastle goal. He still started every single game. He continued to start every single game that he was healthy to start, and then all of a sudden he's out of favor, right? We can't make the argument that we've strengthened in his position and that he's you know he's got players that are going to oust him from the team there because Fraser is maybe the only one you could maybe argue is close to his position and Fraser's not starting every game either. So why then, if it's not a case of they've gotten wind that he wants out, why is Miguel Almoral not starting every game for Bruce who started him every game last season? Well, I'll give you three games off the bat at the top of my head why he didn't start. The first one's the West Ham one where Newcastle played the 4-4-2 because they wanted to swing balls into Andy Carroll and Cal Wilson. And then they somehow thought that was going to work again against Brighton. So that's that would be my only thing. And I don't know why. And then, of course, it's hard to drop Jeff Hendrick after he has the goal and assist, even though he's been awful. Why he was starting there at right mid in the first place, I agree that's something that would have to be explained to me. But then it worked out, and you're like, uh, I, I guess. Um, and then I know that there was the match where he did 
I was very upset about it, but he did travel in the, the I think that was the September, October international break. He came back in and he did fly in like Friday night and Newcastle played Saturday morning. And so I understand him not playing there. But yeah, I think outside of that, I think there's been two or three matches where he hasn't featured and it's like, why? Um, and there's been an infatuation with Jeff Hendrick, uh, who continues to play despite not really being played in his proper position at all this season. You're, you're playing Jeff Hendrick out wide. Why would you not try to play a wide player out wide? Uh, and so I do, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I could see, I could see that. I, I yeah, I, it's unexplainable in, in that regard as well. I just like, I just never seen any sort of like public row from Danny. Like people knew he was going to leave Atlanta United but he was not dropped from the starting. Like people knew that was his last season, like going into that season, he already was by and large, one of the best players in MLS at that point, they knew he was going to leave at some point that season still was never dropped from the squad. Still played is very public. His courting. I mean, Darren Eels was asked about it multiple times by the press. Like it was very public, his exit from Atlanta United, but it was never like, I'm going to drop you. Because there was a recognition that this player is good and that he's the best player on the team he's needed. I don't know. I mean, we are talking about Tata Martino versus Steve Bruce. So, again, I mean, maybe it is a Steve Bruce thing. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know. All right. Uh, Steve Bruce has played Miguel Amaran 51 times. 17 of those have been played as an attacking midfielder. He has zero goals and assists. Outside of those 17 times, he has nine combined goals and assists inside of those 17 appearances. So uh, pretty interesting stat there. Well, we're going to go to break because we're, we got to get uh, pregame for our award season. So we're going to crack open the liquor bottles and the booze, and we're going to get this party started. It's award time right after this. For Newcastle fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Never miss a match with live commentary, goal alerts, lineups, in-game stats, and TV and radio links for over 100 leagues globally. Download the free Toon Army app now from the App Store and Google Play. What up, fam? You ready for awards? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? Let's do it then. Who wants to go first? Who wants to give the first their first award? And, and what? How, how do you guys want to do this? Um this little dick is one person given an award or are we all three get nominee or all four given a nominee in the people pick? How are we doing this? I think we can kind of just, I mean, people can pick it. They can tweet at us their responses, but I kind of envision just as like, you just say the award. We kind of go down the Your line. Award? Yeah. Well, I mean, no, you, you say the award, like you, Greg, be like, Oh, who's the player of the season so far? We each give our yeah. picks. I guarantee you with a lot of these awards, we'll probably, it probably won't be four different players. It'll probably be one or two players. So I think that'll be fine. Let's uh, crank that. Yeah. Well, Paul, Elijah. <laughs> um, Elijah started the first one. He gave it away. So no more cliffhangers, but let's start. Adam, who is your player of the season besides Paul Dummett? <laughs> it's, it's still Paul Dummett. No, just kidding. <laughs> Carl Darlow. I think it has yeah. to Yep. Uh, yep, I would agree. It's Carl Darlow for we've, me right now. We've said it all, right? He's he's the guy. Callum Back. Wilson. Okay, yeah. Two, two, two choices that I think every Newcastle fan would agree with right now. Yeah, I, I think that I, 
I think that Darlow has been phenomenal, but I think that the um, the amount that Wilson has been an improvement at striker is maybe slightly larger than the potential drop off from uh, or the the potential difference than if we just had to Brad Ken goal. So I, I would say that Wilson. For yeah. me, it was expectation versus reality, right? I think the mm-hmm. expectation I had of Darlow coming in to replace Dubrovka was that he was going to be an absolute horror show. And the expectation of Callum Molson coming in was he was going to be 10 times better than anything we already have. So I think Darlow surpassed those expectations, which is why I gave him the nod. But I also agree that Callum Molson, exceptional player and exceptional form so far this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would have locked up, I would have tied it up here uh, with, with Callum Wilson, Zach, as well. Uh, we we needed a striker like that, and he came in and, and, and proved that he could do it. And he and, said he would, yeah. so he's backing up the talk too. <laughs> and yeah. also on on paper, both of those guys, we've already alluded to this, but if you take the results of if you take either one of those guys out of Newcastle's games this season, they are in a relegation battle. It's it's hands down. I mean, the amount of points Starlow has saved and the amount of points Wilson has won. If you look at his goal contributions. It's a no-brainer that they've been the best two players thus far. Yeah. All right. Who is Zach? Your signing of the season. Uh, it's going to be a shocker here. Oh man, this is a tough one. Yeah. After crunching the numbers for a few hours, I think that Callum Wilson will take this on this <laughs> award as well. Uh, uh, probably a really close one, right? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. A lot. A lot of people uh, in that conversation, but I think I think I'll give it to him. <laughs> is anyone not on Callum Wilson? Uh, I'm going Rodrigo Vilca here now. <laughs> Are you really? <laughs> no, I mean, hey, hey, you got this. <laughs> I will say Rodrigo is a very important signing because Newcastle, need, if they want to improve their academy, which I think is the most natural way for Newcastle to get quality players without spending Mike Ashley money, uh, that this that's the way to do it. And to get a player like Vilca into our academy is a huge get for Newcastle. Very, mm-hmm. I think, very underestimated. So I think Elijah saying that it's a fair point. Uh, because it could start a trend, who knows, depending on how well he performs. Um, it, it could become something, which is Newcastle's Academy hasn't been something Andy Carroll. So uh, I like yeah. that point. So, so it's it's certainly a, a, a very important signing, I think. Uh, Adam, who's the most disappointing player for the season so far? Well, I can't say it half as good as Elijah said it earlier on, but I'm going with John Joe Shelby. For oh, the- there we go. <laughs> 67.3% pass completion. I looked at the stats to see who that was actually worse than. So we've got Jacob Murphy, Emil Kraft, Sean Longstaff, Jeff Hendrick, and Joe Linton all have better pass completion percentages than Ooh. the master of distribution, John Joe Shelby. That's, that's not good. <laughs> <That's so bad. laughs> Elijah, who you got most disappointing? I mean, it, it, it's it's John Joe. Uh, I've so many people have tried. Like, there's one guy who is just like tooth and nails arguing with me on Twitter about this all the time, and I'm like, I show him the stats, and he's like, "Well, that's on par for like how he's done the rest of his his career." And I'm like, "Well, maybe we should stop pushing the narrative <laughs> that he's a good passer." Then. <laughs> if, if this is what you're saying, we should expect from John Joe Selby. It's not good. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go John Joe here. I think there are some other players you can throw in there as as just being overall disappointing. Um, I, I'd like to hear what Zach says, and I can kind of see if there's anything, anyone else maybe out there that we could we could say. We we can move on to the next one here. It's John Joe Shelby. Uh, I would say the only other uh, person who would be in that conversation for me is 
Uh, Hendrick, however, it's kind of the same argument that Adam made about the best player. It's expectation versus what you've seen. And I didn't expect Jeff Hendrick to be too good, and he's not too good. Um, and I might not have expected John Joe Shelvin to be too good, but you, you really hoped that he would, and he has done nothing right this season. So I, I think it's it's definitely Shelby for me. I, I would I, say I'm totally more disappointed, right? Disappointed yeah. in John Joe than I am oh, yes. disappointed in Hendrick, right? Yeah, uh, I, 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 shrug, I shrug at Hendrick. I shrug yeah. at the performances that Hendrick has had, but Shelby, you're just like, God damn it, you've still not been able to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> Zach, uh, I would general malaise in Jeff Hendricks' way. General malaise. <laughs> yeah, good callback. Um, I, I would say the player that I'm literally like, I physically am disappointed that they are not performing well. It's not their fault, but I genuinely enjoy Alan St. Maxman when he's on his day, and he just hasn't been this season. So I'm personally disappointed that he is not performing well. But again, as we've already discussed, much of that is not really his fault. It really falls on the shoulders of Steve Bruce, but that's just another name I thought mm-hmm. was like, okay, it's worth mentioning. Obviously, John Joe as a player is certainly more disappointing, but I personally am upset that Alan St. Maxman is not Alan St. Maxman that we got during Project Restart. Mm. Uh, most disappointing signing. Are we all on Hendrick here? Yes. Yeah. And we all chose yeah. him for to be the mo- Like, we predicted this to happen, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so this is going to be interesting. That one, we'll start with you, Elijah. Uh, who is your biggest surprise of the season? I'm, I'm, I mean, I think there is an obvious choice. I'll let other people discuss, uh, but I think because I, I think there's two front runners in my yeah, opinion. and I'm going to go with this player because I have verbally taken a dump on this person. I said they would not start in the Premier League. I said that we cannot put too much stock in one good uh, cup match against Sep- uh, against Morecambe, a League Two side. But Jacob Murphy has proven me wrong. Uh, in the school, the Newcastle school of converting right wingers into wingbacks, we've done it again uh, with Jacob Murphy. <laughs> uh, we'll see how long it lasts and and how, how 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 good he remains. But he's he's been he's been good this season thus far. Anybody have any other picks here besides Jacob? Zach I went for, like may. I went oh. for Jacob Murphy as well. Okay. Um, I've been really impressed with him. To your point, Elijah, he was written off by many, myself included, as not good enough to cut it in the Premier League. And, you know, he, he put in a great preseason. And sometimes having that strong preseason can force you into a manager's plans. Um, and that's exactly what he's done. He's keeping Emil Kraft, the natural, right back out of the team. Um, he's keeping, um, obviously, DeAndre Yedlin, who's a U.S. international, out of the team, and he's not a natural right back. So just credit to him. You know, he's he's taking the chance that he's got. He put in a really important goal against Wolves the other day to rescue a point for us. So just been been impressed with his, not necessarily his form itself, but his mental toughness to come through, you know, the doubt that he's had going out on loan um, and then come back into the team and be contributing in the Premier League is a, is a real kudos to him. Yeah, I like that. I I think that the the reason that I didn't pick uh, Jacob Murphy and I picked probably the other obvious answer, which is Carl Darlow, is just the amount of games that they've participated in this season. I think that, um, you know, Murphy has played in four of our eight matches, um, started in the last three. So I'd say 
on current form, I would say it's Murphy. He has cemented or seemingly, you know, firmed a grip on a place in the side. But what really impresses me about Darlow is that same thing that Adam mentioned, the, the mental toughness. I mean, people forget that he was brought to Newcastle in the same deal that brought us Jamal Lascelles, who has been captaining the side for the last two and a half seasons. And the fact that Carl Darlow has genuinely not had an extended run in the team until just now really speaks to his ability to stay sharp, to stay in it. Um, and, and just, you know, the, the gap in the improvement and the progress that they've made an impact that they've made those two players, LaSalle's and Darlow, um, I think really speaks to the ability that Darlow has shown. Um, yeah. To just stay locked in and stay confident in himself. Um, also, Biggest surprise of the season was finding out that Carl Darlow is 30 years old. That blew my mind when I read that. <laughs> yeah. He's a year younger than Dubrovka. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Yeah. Uh, yeah, been, exactly. yeah. Go ahead, Elijah. I would say that this has all been like a long teaser for one question the fan asked us. We, got, we had in the beginning about our keepers, and everyone keeps bringing up the keepers. So just it's a nice little teaser. <laughs> um. Zach, you and I are on the same page here. I Every ounce of my heart wanted to say Jacob Murphy, but as far as just like complete surprise, is that Carla Dollar is really good. And, you know, I asked this question in uh, the CHN radio last show. It was like, you know, there will be an issue at Newcastle because it's, ve- it's, it's arguable, but it could very well be true that Newcastle have three, like, starting quality Premier League goalkeepers on the roster next season in Dubrovka, in Darlow, and in Woodman. And two of them will have to leave. And that's just the simple fact. So Newcastle's going to have some decisions to make because Dubrovka's phenomenal, Darlow's proving to be phenomenal, and Woodman's more of a potential fit. Um, but he's way younger than both of them. So it's it's a big, big decision that Newcastle's going to have to come down to. But absolute credit to Carlo Darlow because he's earned it, whether it's at Newcastle or somewhere else, He's he's earned it by this performance so far. Yeah. Next step. All right. We're getting to the fun stuff now. Who is going to heat up down the stretch? It, it's your probably award for the second half of the career. <laughs> Who is your probably going to be good take? Uh, we'll start with you, Adam. No, we'll start with Zach. Zach ended it. He's starting this one. Let's go. Go, All right. Uh, um, Ryan Frazier is my pick here. I think that Frazier mm. gets healthy and he starts, uh, he, he gets an extended run in the team and really shows what made him that um, pretty prized possession that Bournemouth tried to hold on to for a number of years. Uh, I'm really excited to see him at, you know, maybe, maybe not a hundred percent strength, but at a hundred percent of what he can contribute now. I think that he will be a really good player and, Fingers crossed. I mean, Ryan Frazier is a player who can only play on the left wing. So hopefully Steve Bruce just runs out of options of ways that he can screw up the lineup once Frazier gets healthy. You yeah. say that, but Frazier played at right center mid. <laughs> so I don't, <laughs> I, don't th- I don't think that applies in this situation because it's Steve Bruce. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh. That was, I mean, it somehow worked out that one time, but don't make it a consistent thing, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam, who you got? Um, well, you put in the notes here, I think Elijah put the notes here, which player do you think is going to finish strong despite a slow start? So I took this literally. Okay. I picked, I picked a player that has had a slow start for a season and a half and that he scored zero goals and he's a center forward. I picked Andy Carroll. 
Um, I think he's going to have to if we survive with Callum Wilson being out injured. I am I'm calling it right now. Andy Carroll scores a Newcastle goal before the end of the season. Strong, oh, wow. strong finish. Strong that would finish. be that would be very interesting. Um, my my big one is I'm gonna, I'm jumping you, Elijah. Is, okay, that's fine. I there's no way that we finish the season without some pretty interesting injuries. Uh, Jacob Murphy is my is my player. Um, I think he's going to come in, and I think he. I think there's a legit chance that he could cement a place in our in our lineup. He's been pushing for it. He looks like the most exciting player when he comes on, and I think an injury will give him a, an extended run on the team. And I think it could really push him to be uh, our next like guaranteed starter. I'm hopeful yeah. here too, especially now that he's added the the positional flexibility of being able to play as a fullback in addition yeah. to being a, a right winger. At sometimes yeah. a cam right mid, so he can he can play all along the right hand side. Uh, oh uh, man, this is this is a tough one for me because my heart I want to go McGomeron because I've seen he's he's. You talk about playing guys in a position, and he's he's played okay as a central midfielder. So it's it's one of those where I don't trust Steve Bruce to actually like make like be able to adjust and do anything well tactical but I do trust the ability of players to adapt to these new positions they're being thrown in a la Jacob Murphy um a la Miguel Marone at times he's looked decent uh but honestly I just got a gut feeling right now that Joel Linton is going to be the guy that heats up down the stretch uh Adam kind of said it earlier Callum Wilson getting injured Joel Linton when he has played this season has looked far more confident than he's ever looked ever uh last season so there there's that element um i do think the confidence is going to be there i think there's there's less pressure on him to perform i think people have even forgotten that he's existed at newcastle so you know i I could see him maybe nabbing a couple goals down the stretch and being kind of called into action if we get callum going down Uh, he's currently i would say the third choice striker second choice attacking player off the bench uh so for for steve bruce we'll see all right, uh, we'll go to our last award. And this, this award shall be dubbed the Florian Lejeune Best Moment of the Season Award. Um, and we're going to start with, with Adam here. Uh, just going straight into what is your... It's all, I'm only starting with Adam because he literally told me that he's had, a, he's had trouble with this one. So I'm just throwing him right off the bat. Uh, who is, what is your best moment of the season? Mm. Really good one. The suspense is killing me. <laughs> this is great. So it looks like Adam is having some technical difficulties. Yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, I'll hop in here because yeah. my, my co-host has fallen silent for once in yes. his life. Um, uh, <laughs> I, I would say I would all say, our shots in now because he can't he can't respond. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I would say the, uh, my top moment of the season, and this was a pretty difficult one for me, um, but I am going to go with Jeff Hendricks' goal to cap off that opening uh, oh. match win against West Ham. And it's kind of a two-parter, the first being sincerely, that was a great moment. I mean, we 
bossed that game. And that goal was a fantastic finish into the top left-hand corner, but also using that cynical humor that Newcastle fans must have watching how far Jeff Hendrick has fallen down the pecking order since scoring (laughs) that goal. I think I'm going to, I'm going to take a laugh out of that because he had that moment and he played quite well in that game overall. And I'm just curious where any of that has gone since then, because it's completely evaporated. So I'll say that's my top moment. And ironically, like everyone was like, all right, why are we starting Jeff Hendrick at right mid? He's clearly a central midfielder. And we've started him at central midfielder since, and he's been so much worse at central midfielder. I'm like, exactly. put him back at right mid. Jesus. <laughs> um, oh, for me, and I, I, this is a hard question, and it purposely is hard because there's not a lot of good moments this season. For me, it actually, it's, it's, not, it's not the sexiest moment in the world, but it was Newcastle's first penalty of the season. I believe that was against Tottenham in the 97th minute because for the first time in three or four seasons, I was like, oh, we're going to draw. Like, Callum Wilson's going to score this penalty. We have a guy – like, any other year where it's like, oh, we got John Joe uh, taking this. Nope. We got Matt Ritchie's going to blaze. Like, it was was always a, wow, I have no idea what's going to happen. But with Callum, I feel like – Nine times out of ten, that's going in the back of that. If it doesn't, then it's just a hell of a save by the keeper, and it's unlucky. So that, for me, was like, oh, that's great. Little did I know that was going to be, like, a common theme <laughs> for Newcastle because I believe we had, like, two more penalties after that. Yeah, uh, I this was a really hard one. I think we're all saying that. Um, so mine is – is it's it's a tough blow to, to, to say out loud, but it's got to be for me. Is uh, it's beating Newport County <laughs> uh, and going to, to making a run in a cup? Like it was a like. Yeah. I mean, I was happy about the win against Morecambe, obviously, but uh, like finally saying like, "Holy crap!" Like we're in the quarterfinals, and like there's a legit chance that like, you know, we. I and also it's a little bit of selfish pick for me because I did say that Newcastle will make the semifinals in the League Cup and the Carabao Cup before the season as my prediction is my hot take. Um, so I'm like being very selfish here in my choice, but it's gotta be because we all enjoy a cup run and we got one and we're going to have a cup match like close to January. So like, that's cool. <laughs> December, December 20, December 22nd, Brentford. It's the, ma- the match of the yeah, season. Ivan Tony coming back. Can't wait for those hot takes. That's going to be, that's going to be, I mean, they're already there. Um, <laughs> But uh, Adam, I, hopefully, are you are you back from your audio issues? Oh, maybe not. Yeah, but that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah. yeah All right. Cool. Um, maybe not. So, maybe Adam. Oh. Yep. We'll give you can one you more chance, and then we're cutting you off. No. Okay. <laughs> can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you stole my you stole my pick here, Greg. Um, Newcastle competing in and winning a penalty shootout was actually mine. So oh, um, yeah, <laughs> it was better. Can you can you can you remember the last time that Newcastle were actually in a penalty shootout? Do you guys know what that the statistic is? Uh, I said this on our show, and yeah. we've never won one. That's absolutely right. Yep. So um, the last one was actually in the second round of the cup, and we lost 5-3 to Leicester on penalties last season. We've lost in the 
in the League Cup to Hull City in 16-17. We lost in the League Cup to Watford on penalties. And we lost in Champions League qualifying to Partizan Belgrade as well. So this was a turn up in the books for me. Um, yeah. Nice to see it happen. Sad that it happened against a Welsh team and uh, in, in that it was Newport County. Uh, but yeah, uh, and, and if you remember that game well, we were we were pretty much out of it. We we looked like we'd lost it, and then a wonder goal from John Joe Shelby saved us and took its penalty. So um, enjoyable, I would say, um, but sad to see Newport lose in that one. The Exiles, they they got theirs last year. Yeah, that's true. They that's true. Run. Now they, now let, they just let us have ours now. <laughs> exactly, and Joe Linton, so, of course, let us down in the penalty shootout as well. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I've just felt when he missed that, uh, it was like, oh, it's over. Like, that was mm -hmm. it for me. Uh, yeah. any, any parting words for, for a, a, any made-up awards that you all thought of? The uh, no. worst manager of the year award goes to Steve Bruce. I think that's yes. unanimous. That's a good one. Um, hmm. The prospect of the year award right now is Freddie Woodman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um I, I would say, like, who I don't know who's going to be our youth team player of the year, but I would say it's probably it makes a good segue to like kind of Greg can give any youth team updates after this. But I think our youth team player of the season is probably going to be Rodrigo Vilca when it's said and done. That's my, that's my I would disagree. My, oh, I'm just saying that because I, I just I like the idea of another South American in Newcastle, so <laughs> I'm heavily biased. Uh, All right, Newcastle fans, you should know the name because he has made an appearance, but it's Elliot Anderson. The dude is absolutely on fire. He's beast. scoring in pretty much every match he plays. He's 18, playing in the U23s, and dominating the U23s. Watch out, y'all. Nice. Watch out for him. Elliot Anderson. Greg, I'm going to throw this one back at you. Newcastle goal of the season so far. Goal of the season? Yes. Uh, well... <laughs> Dang, I, I hate that you mentioned this already, Elijah, because it's Callum Wilson's penalty against Spurs. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Um, no, uh, St. Maximin has that one. Against Burnley? Yeah. yeah. Yep, cracking goal. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I like Jacob Murphy's uh, free kick, too. That was cool. Yeah, I was going to uh, say yeah. that that might be up there for me as well. And also the quote of the year, because uh, he said on that goal, he was doing research on, on the keeper and saw that <laughs> he, he uh, has trouble on the nearsighted shots. Uh, this is Jacob Murphy doing his own research, not our coaching staff and manager. In <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that it was the night before the match. He was watching YouTube clips of... <laughs> <laughs> he was playing against Wolves on FIFA the night yeah. before, and yeah. Rui Patricio let one slip on the near post. He thought he's dodgy on his near post. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll have a go. Yeah. <laughs> any I, other I, uh, any other thoughts? Go ahead, oh, just real quick on that. I love he, another part of that quote was like, "I just tried to hit it low and into the corner." I'm like, "Yeah, that's the hardest spot for any keeper to save." Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's part that, of his that, research. <laughs> it's adding to a long list of of uh, extremely extremely obvious sports explanations for things that take place. Um, but yeah, that that was a great goal. That was that was the best goal of the season, I think. All right, y'all. Well, make sure if you're listening to this, like, subscribe, comment, follow all of us on Twitter. Um, Zach, where should they sh should they follow you? Wait, are we just gonna ignore these fan questions that we have? <laughs> oh yeah. 
Sorry. I, <laughs> we, are, we are. We are. <laughs> yeah. We don't admit, if you don't subscribe, then we don't listen to your fan questions. I think everyone that asks probably subscribes, though. So, all right. These fine. should be pretty yeah. quick, though. So, we'll, yeah, we'll get them done and we, dusted. We can I don't have this. them up, which is why I forgot about them. So, does somebody have them up? Yeah, I can I can run through them really quickly. Yeah, go ahead. Um, so, so we have three fan questions that were submitted today uh, for us to go over on the pod. Uh, the first is from actually a, a childhood friend of mine, Joe Greenwald. And he asked, who do you feel is the better Longstaff brother? So I guess I'll, I'll start. I think that um, it's an interesting question because neither one has proved too much <laughs> in the Premier League. But I, I think based on potential, I would say Matty Longstaff. Uh, what about you, Elijah? I don't know. I think I, I there were shades of Sean Longstaff uh, at that number 10 role that gave me a little bit of joy. And then his first game back this season, I think that was against Wolves. He uh, No, against Everton. I think he came back against Everton. Uh, genuinely pretty solid carrying the ball forward. Um, my biggest thing with Matty, he's been so raw at times. So that's been that's I guess right now I would say Sean. I'm sure down the road Maddie could potentially be better, but right now my gut tells me Sean. I like that. Greg Adam. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick right so I'm gonna go right now saying that I think Sean Longstaff will be the better player. I think he's a little bit more athletic. Uh his size is more advantageous to the position he's playing. And uh uh uh, yeah, I, so I'm I'm going with Sean. It's crazy that we just did a whole review and we didn't mention them once. That's how like that's shocking to mm-hmm. me. Last year, would never have thought that this would be the case, but here we are. Um, but yeah, good question. I, I'm going to go with Sean. Yep, I'd finish up and actually outside with you on this one, Zach. I'd go for the flame-haired maestro that is Maddie Longstaff. <laughs> yeah, um, maestro. I, I, I think the upside is a little bit more there with with Maddie Longstaff, right? I think Sean had one good season where he played alongside John Joe Shelby, and everybody thought he was going to be the next big thing, and he's kind of faded out somewhat. I think Maddie yeah. has started a couple games, hasn't really had a chance to shine as much right now, so I think that. The upside is greater there, and I just I, I think he's he plays the short ball really really well. Matty Longstaff gets gets into good open positions, finds himself in positions like the ones he scored against against Man U. I never see Sean taking up those positions that far up the pitch. Very rare when that happens. So I don't know. I just I think Matty might have more to prove, and he seems like he's got the bit between his teeth when he finally gets chances on the field. When yeah. you, you talk about players who very publicly kind of were dropped by Steve Bruce, Matty does come in the to uh to my mind where that mm-hmm. was kind of an ugly kind of into last season where he was just kind of being dropped for no real reason uh because he was going over contract dispute so could feed 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 into the uh, adam theory that miguel is getting dropped for the same reasons because heard got, it first. Got, hey I, I, i'm about it now <laughs> Elijah has changed his ways on on that one um all right second question coming from eric Eric Schmidt, um, and this was the one that we alluded to a number of times uh, regarding the goalkeepers, but um, saying, do you feel that with the impressive form of Darlow and Dubravka's proven class, this will freeze Freddie Woodman out of the picture in the long-term plans uh, of Newcastle United? So I'll start with you, Greg, because you you pretty much asked this question. Um, if you had to make a prediction right now, what do you think will happen in the summer regarding those three keepers uh, at Newcastle? 
I think um, what will probably well, it just depends on how. So I think Freddie Woodman will be a permanent player for Swansea next season. Okay. Uh, I think the club lined it up so he has the contract extension that can tr- that can carry over, and I think after his second loan spell, the players already said he would like it to happen, and the fans absolutely love him. So I would be surprised if uh, that is not the case. And then I'm going to go with uh, the club is going to try to cash out on Carl Darlow and Martin Dubrovka will be our keeper with either like Jake Turner, uh, probably Jake Turner as our backup, who's on loan right now to Morecambe. So uh, a long drop from there. Well, yeah. no, sorry, Mark Gillespie. And Mark Gillespie, I, I was going to say. Him. Uh, so he would be our backup. Sorry, Mark. Obviously, you listen, so my bad. <laughs> Adam, do you, do you have, hold a similar opinion? Listen, I, I think Greg's analysis here is probably right that he's going to leave. I'll be really disappointed if he does, though. I think totally. Woodman has the most raw talent um, outside of Martin Dubravka um, of any of the keepers that we have in our squad right now. Um, and he's 23 years old. You look, you look at Dubravka and Darlow, they're 31 and 30, respectively. While they're in their 30s, keepers can go into their late 30s. So realistically, there could be seven or eight years of those two competing for the top spot there. You wouldn't blame Woodman if he left. But I think where Darlow struggles is crosses into the box. Woodman's really, really strong there. He's also a competent shot stopper. He saved three out of six penalties um, in his time at Swansea. This season, he has five clean sheets in 10 games. He's a heck of a keeper, and it would suck if we lost him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to counteract Greg's point here because Greg has said this for the past year, and I have been looking for a year, and I have not found a quote where Freddie Woodman explicitly says, I want to stay at Swansea. Or like, and I've looked, and all of the quotes have been, I'd like to finish the season at Swansea, like when you're talking about Project Restart or something like that, where he wants to finish out the season because he has unfinished bits, but he's never said, I want to move to Swansea. He said he's enjoyed it, but what he has said on multiple occasions is that he wants to be the number one at Newcastle. And I think that, and I kind of alluded to this, I think when you have a young English talent and Mike Ashley, he has to be smart here. You know the inflation with young English talent. If Swansea's not putting north of 20 mil for a keeper with the amount of money that teams have been spending on keepers, uh, then, then you keep him. It's what what happened with Man United and Dean Henderson. Like Sheffield didn't want to pony up for him, and you kind of see how that's worked out for him. Um, he was a big part of their success last season, and not having him is a big part of their demise this season. And so, I think that teams are starting to pick up on the fact that having a keeper is, is probably a good one. Is probably something good. So, if if Newcastle sell Woodman, I would love for it to be for a ton of money. But personally, I think. The best option, in my opinion, is to is to sell one of Dubrovka or Darlow, uh, cash out on one of them, maybe Darlow, and genuinely have a keeper battle next season. Mm-hmm. And say, go into camp and say, whoever wants the job wins it. And the other keeper has to be okay with that. And, and you, that's how you figure out who's going to be your keeper in the future. And if, if Woodman can make that jump next season and beat out someone, then so be it. And if, and if he can't, and he's showing signs that he's going to be able to, then you can sell whoever the other keeper is in January and move on with your life. But I think that you don't want to sell both good keepers in the same summer. Um, I think that's just like the least ideal situation uh, because you're putting all your eggs in the basket that Freddie Woodman's going to be a top five shot stopper in the Premier League, which is what Darlow and Dubrovka have offered the past three seasons. 
Yeah, I think that's that's exactly how I feel, Elijah. I think you cashed out on Darlow. We important to mention that Martin Dubravka signed a contract extension about a year ago, so you know we have made that commitment to him. Uh, and then, yeah, I think you lay down the gauntlet for Freddie Woodman. Wood, uh, and yeah, I think the the Manchester United example is pretty pretty much on point. It's it's you know if if you want it, go get it. But um, all right, nice. I, I enjoyed that kind of variety in answers there. Um, all right, lads. Last question coming from a uh, big, big friend of the pod, Mister Steal Your Worldwide on Twitter. Um, and this question, <laughs> the yeah, the homie. Uh, so, um, kind of, we we've kind of touched upon this in a variety of ways, but I, I guess we'll go through this quickly. The question is: Who do you guys believe has regressed the most this season, and who has progressed the most? Uh, and then the kind of um, I guess uh, addendum there. If no one comes to mind, what about by the end of the season? Who do you think will have per- regressed and progressed the most? So, um, yeah, I guess a bit different than the questions we've gone over throughout the pod. But um, Adam, do you want to start with this regression progression? Do you think it's um, people that we've been talking about? Yeah, I, I think John Joe Shelby was the standout from a regression standpoint. I tried to go with somebody a little bit different for the progression side of this. I went with Emil Kraft. I thought he had a lot of critics last season. He didn't put in as many good performances. In the games that he started at right back, I think he's looked decent. And he's offered uh, a decent option when he's actually moved inside as well to, to center back when we've had to deploy him there in an emergency role. So in terms of progression from last season, I feel like he's already started along that path. Remains to be seen whether he gets many more games, especially with Murphy now starting at right back. But um, I kind of wrote him off personally and thought he's 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 impressed a little bit for me this season. Scoop shout. Yeah, Greg, Elijah, anybody that pops into the mind? Huh. Elijah, you go. I'm still thinking on this one. I I would I would love to say Shelby, but I don't think he's regressed because I've thought he's been bad for three seasons. So I wouldn't say he's regressed. I think he's just been exposed per se. I actually I'm buying into the Jamal Cells has I think he's legitimately regressed since Rafa's left. Like in terms of his his quality as a defender, I think each season he's kind of taken a bit of a step back. Um, it's been quite noticeable, but again, he's virtually undroppable as the captain of the club. But I think that his best years in Newcastle have been under Rafa Benitez, and he's currently not at that level. Um, but yes, and he is a vocal leader, as it's being pointed out to me. But he's definitely regressed. Um, and I'd say progress. That's a tough one uh, because I think some of the better players in Newcastle didn't really make an appearance last season. You could make the same uh, case as well uh, for some of the players who regressed. Like, I mean, you could argue that. Sean Longstaff regressed because he didn't play at all last season and that kind of carried over into this season. But for the progression route, I think I'm going to go Jacob Murphy uh, just because, uh, I mean, when he first was brought in, he was so raw and to kind of see how he's progressed over the past three seasons, yeah, three seasons, uh, into being a player who, like we've already said, um, virtually a lock in the starting 11 right now, potentially uh, a lock, um, potentially an actual lock in the starting 11 down the road uh, has just done really well and has played a new position. He's, he's done quite well at it. So I, I think he's, it's fair to say he's progressed a lot. Okay. So I think, I think I may have come up with something. Okay. The player who I think has regressed the most, uh, it, and this could be, a, I don't know. Uh, it's Matty Longstaff. Okay. Um, the only, but it's not to his fault. 
I think it's because he, he needs game time and he's not playing. And uh, he is not doing what he was even doing last year or before he got called up from the U23s. He's not even making a difference at the U23 level right now. So uh, that's a big drop-off from scoring against Manchester United. Uh, so I'm going to go with that. I, I, I'm not saying that I don't doubt that he will be a great player. Uh, I hope he is, but just based on comparisons. Uh, and who has progressed the most, I would have to really go with. Uh, I kind of think Carl Darlow just has been this good, uh, but he's just had a lot of bad luck. So I'm going to go with Jacob Murphy. Uh, I think that's like really cool to see that he was able to, you know, a couple great seasons of the championship and now come in and, and make a real impact in the uh, Premier League is pretty fantastic. I'll make mine really quick because I think Jacob Murphy is the the progression. And interestingly enough, I'll stay at right back for the regression. I was really high on Javier Manquillo going into this season. I thought that he was one of our best players um, after or during Project Restart. And in the last three, he started the first three matches of this season and then has been on the bench without seeing any playing time in the last three matches. So pretty disappointed to see him become what seems like the uh, third choice right back behind Murphy and then potentially even Kraft. Uh, I'm still pretty high on Mankilo. I think he should be ahead of Emil Kraft, and I would be interested to see if he can fit back into the team. But yeah, I've been surprised and disappointed at how he's completely gone absent at Newcastle. And but I again, that's I, it's so weird when you when you have a manager you're confident in is making the right decisions. It's a different story where it's like if Javi Manquillo is getting dropped under Rafa Benitez, it makes sense. But like Steve Bruce's selection doesn't make sense half the time. So it's like. Everyone is wondering why Javi Manquillo has been dropped. Javi Manquillo is wondering why he's been dropped. I yeah. don't know why he isn't. I mean, I don't fault him for regressing per se. Yeah, the regression is more just in his role in the team more than yeah, anything that's else. Fair. But yeah, cool. Yeah, awesome. We're calling it, guys. Awesome. Yeah, yeah that was sweet. <laughs> that's Thanks awesome. for having us on today. Yeah, yeah, I, and we need to have a a Zach and Adam hosted experience next time. That has to happen. Because and if y'all yeah. if, if you're if you're a listener of of just one or just the other, give both shows a listen. It's definitely worth it. It's uh, and you'll learn more about the Premier League than you, you would hearing me or Elijah talk about it. We hate the Premier League. <laughs> um, and then you'll 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 get it's a nice little Newcastle drop into your um, uh, IV when you're listening to their podcast, which is a, a really good perspective. And then uh, make sure you like, subscribe, follow us everywhere. Um, we're going to be retweeting a bunch. If you don't follow Zach or Elijah, like, what are you guys doing? Don't follow Adam and I. You lag- actually cannot follow Adam and me. It's pretty irrelevant. So um, <laughs> uh, do that. We appreciate y'all staying on and listening. Uh, and y'all, let's uh, let's beat Chelsea, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do yeah. it. All right. Well, we usually do. Yeah. Yeah, let's get a Poppy Cisse Worldie in here, mm-hmm. right? Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> call them back. All right, well, that concludes this one. Um, it's been a pleasure. This is a great song, Coming Home Newcastle. We'll see you soon. And hoy the lads. Cheers, hoy the lads. Footy. Let's see. I was on the case side Looking at the old time bridge I'm coming home, Newcastle I 
made as well have been in jail. I'd walk the streets all day, I'll meet for a bottle of your own brown hill. I'm coming home, Newcastle, if you never win the club again. I'll brave the dark at St. James's Park, if the Gallagher's end in the rain. I'm coming home. And I'm proud to be a Jody and to live in Jody land. Some people think we're 40 and we're hard to understand And they say it's just self-pity and we're not so very tough Cause the people in the big fat city haven't had it tough as rough I'm coming home, Newcastle, you can keep your London wine I'd walk the streets all day, I'll meet for a bottle of the River Tyne I'm coming home, Newcastle, I wish I'd never been away Kiss the ground for the welcome sound in me mother seeing Henny how I'm coming home. And I miss the old blind busker who stands at Phoenix door. He plays a mean accordion, you've all seen him there before. And I love the Geordie heroes, there's so many famous names. Like Lindisfarne in Gaza, Brendan Foster in the Gates at Games. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I might as well have been in jail. I'd walk the streets all day. I'll need for a bottle of your own brown nail. I'm coming home, Newcastle. If you never win the cup again, I'll brave the dark in St. James's Park in the Gallagher's end in the rain. I'm coming home, Newcastle. You can keep your London wine. Walk the streets all day, I'll wait for a bottle of the river tide I'm coming home, Newcastle, I wish I'd never been away I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound in me mother seeing Henny Howie I'm coming home, Newcastle, I might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day, I'll wait for a bottle of your own brown nail I'm coming home, Newcastle, if you never win the cup again Brave the dog is in James's pocket, the Gallagher's end in the rear. I'm